Come say hi to people. Okay. You love saying hi, don't ya? There you are. There we go. Now you can see who all is possibly watching with us. There you went waved. Did you see your wave? Linda's watching. Can you say hi to Linda? Good job. Gonna get it? There we go. Want me to pick you up again? What? Okay. Sorry. You can come back. I just thought you'd want to pick it up. Here. You can come back. Okay. Here we go. Hmm? Yeah. What? Huh? I don't know, dearie. I don't know what you want. Here's your marker. Hi, Carol. Can you say hi to Carol? Hi, Dad. There you go. Oh, Allison and Zach are on. Can you say hi to Zach? Hi. Can you say hi to Allison, too? Hi. There we go. She said hi back to you. Carol said hi too. No, 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 calm down. 
You're okay. You're okay. Zach said hi to you too. We have lots of fans. We got one, two, three highs. I haven't got any highs, but you've got three. Yes, we're both feeling better. We got our test results this afternoon and we're not sick with COVID. So, well, I'm not sick with COVID. And I assume since both Anastasia and I got feeling sick the same day, that we were sick with the same thing. Thanks, Zach. Um, and yeah, so I haven't sent out an email to everybody yet, but I'm not. I was not sick with the COVID on Friday. <laughs> Hi, Carol. It was a joke. What's wrong? I love you. So, how are we going to get both of these babies upstairs? Oh, no! <laughs> That's an excellent question. I'm going to put the rock and play upstairs. Okay. And then, I'll see about transportation. That one is amicable. She can transport her top upstairs. And, I don't know. She <laughs> likes the camera. You like the camera, don't you? Yes, we're very thankful because it makes every part of our life a lot less complicated. Because we're supposed to have our test on Thursday. We haven't got it fully scheduled yet, but Eliana's test will be on Thursday. And so that means we don't have to worry about that for that. And then... We don't have to get people to go grocery shopping for us, and we can restart services and all that stuff. Anastasia got this little magic pen board thing. It's like a cloth board. It's and you have just water markers and you write on them and the humidity then makes the board change colors um, and so she really likes to play with it but it takes a while to set up and unfortunately her attention span is relatively short so she'll only play with it for a few minutes and then it's done so mom got it out I don't know maybe five minutes before I turned on this and then she wanted to come say hi to all of you. And she brought me her marker, and she abandoned her board. And now she's yelling at Bethany about something. I don't know why. Yeah, up the oh, wow. Have fun. Bye, Eliana. Bye, Mom. Hi, Audrey.
You guys all ready for your garage sale, Allison? Hi, Tom. Hi, Megan. If somebody else is watching, and I'm not friends with you on Facebook, I don't see you unless you comment. So, um, yeah, don't take it personally if we're not friends on Facebook. And I don't say hi because I can't see your name unless we're friends. So, good. I'm glad it's coming along. get started and others will join hopefully as we progress. Um, good evening. We're glad that you've chosen to join us. Um, hi Sandy. Um, just a quick announcement. Um, I am ne negative on my test so I don't have it. I found out results a little earlier this afternoon. Um, so that is that's good for all sorts of aspects of my life um, so we're gonna resume meeting this Wednesday at church and um, yeah if you're not healthy though don't come um, anyways uh, the other announcement concerns men's revive and women's renew conferences Men's Revive is August 28th and the 29th, and the Women's Renew is um, September 11th and September 12th, okay? Um, if you could at all have um, information for us by Monday, August 10th as to whether or not you're going, um, who may be going with you, and also checks to me by the 10th. Um, that will allow us to register. I'm not really concerned about the men's because men's are always lower, but the women's uh, retreat attendance is always higher. And so with a cap at 550 people, um, it's more likely that um, if we're late, you will not be able to get registered um, just because of spacing restrictions that the camp has this year. All right, I think that's all that I have by way of announcements, so let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will get started. 
Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you for the fact that we can uh, depend upon it and that we can um, look to it for our guidance, for instruction, and for uh, the hope that we need and the confidence that we need to live in this life. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Genesis 39 tonight. And if you remember, in Genesis chapter 37, we were talking about Joseph. And all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is thrown into a massive trial. His brothers betray him. They talk about killing him. They opt not to kill him and instead to sell him into the hand of the Midianite traders who are going to Egypt. And it'd be a natural response for you and I to go through a trial like that, to be taken away from our families with really no, no hope that you would be able to return as a slave, and with no reason to think that your family will come to you, and to lose hearts completely in the midst of that situation. And yet, as we look at the text, chapter 38 takes us and it, it looks at Judah. And it's interesting the parallels in the characters of Judah and Joseph. And I don't think that that's the primary idea of the passage. But you get a very interesting and different view of two different men. Joseph responds to temptation in a way that is honoring to God and it focuses on God's presence and the fact that God is with him. And because God is with him and God has continued to bless him and care for him, he responds to sexual temptation drastically different than Judah. If you remember, Judah appears to have forgotten his purpose, his mission to be a source of blessing, and he lives a very unfaithful life to God. And at the end of the story, he professes that his daughter-in-law, who is a Canaanite, is more righteous than he is. And through that story, he's actually learning to live a righteous life. And as we work our way later on in the book, you'll see that Judah has grown. He's matured as a character. He's more like um, his grandpa, Abraham. But why does Joseph live differently? And I think that the reason Joseph lives differently is really what the theme is encompassing. In the gravest trials, God is with his servants. And as we read through Genesis 39, you're going to see that idea repeated a number of times, that the Lord was with Joseph. And it's interesting, it, it begins and ends, the story, Genesis 39, is bracketed with those ideas, that the Lord is with Joseph, even in the midst of the most grave trial he may ever face. If you would take your Bibles and let's read Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all 
that he had put had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had made, he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by the garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garments in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servants whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that this his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the fact that even in the midst of uh, immense trials and immense heartache that we can lean on the fact that you are present that you are with us and as we meditate on that truth that you have not abandoned us you have not forsaken us even in the midst of our trials that we can um, we can live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you we pray that that would be our desire and that that would be our response to uh, the situations that we face in this life. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so God is present um, with Joseph as a slave. I think that the text really progresses and it, it really begins with this idea that God is present with Joseph and it's going to come back to that idea. And I think it shows us that God is present with Joseph actually in two different big trials that he faces in Genesis 39. It's not that just that the trial is that he's left his home. That's really what 37 deals with. 
And that encompasses everything that's going on in chapter 39. But I think that the way that it's set up, it's purposely saying God is with Joseph as he is a slave in Potiphar's house. Joseph responds to God's presence in a way that is living out that truth. He's living in response to God's presence. And then it concludes by saying, God is still present with Joseph, even while Joseph is a prisoner in the royal prison. Okay? So God's present with Joseph. And you and I would be tempted to think, we would be tempted to question God, are you still present with our hero, Joseph? Why have you done this? I mean, it would be easy for us to understand why he did this to Reuben. It'd be easy for us to look at chapter 38 and say, well, I mean, it makes sense if you sent Judah off to Egypt to live by himself. Or maybe Simeon and Levi, you remember what happened back a couple chapters ago when they went and butchered a whole city. But Joseph? I mean, Joseph is the guy that in chapter 37, we just learned that God has been giving him dreams, telling him that he is appointed to do great things, that he has a great mission that is set up for him, that he's going to somehow be a source of blessing to his family. And now he has been cast aside, it appears. He's been forsaken. He's been forgotten. Does God not and in the midst of the trials that you and I face, in the midst of uh, work difficulties, or maybe in the midst of being laid off, or maybe in the midst of the restrictions that have come upon your life as a result of everything that's going on in our world, it's easy for us to look up and say, am I forsaken? Has God forgotten me? Why would he allow me to go through this hard situation? It's interesting, the narrator doesn't really allow us to meditate on that for very long. Verse 1 tells us that he was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, a captain of the guard, bought him. And the very next verse, before we allow our minds to wander too far and to begin to think God forsakes his servants, his servants that he's going to use to be a blessing to all people, the truth of the, the passage, I think, is really trying to communicate to us, comes through loud and clear. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Wow. Joseph was not forsaken, even though there had to have been days. I mean, this is a young, young man. He's in his late teens. He's not an old man. He doesn't have lots of life experience. There had to have been days where Joseph felt like God had forsaken him. Just like there are days where you and I feel like God has possibly forsaken us and has forgotten us. But the text comes through and reminds us that, no, God is present and he continues to care for his own. He's seen to it that not only is he with Joseph, but Joseph is prospering. Joseph is successful. And in fact, 
Joseph's success reaches to, he's a source of blessing, of enrichment for even the man who owns him. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. So other people are acknowledging this. Other people are seeing that there is something that is unique, something that is different about Joseph. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. God's presence is seen, and it leads to his promotion. It leads to his care. God is with Joseph. And what the same truth is true about the situation that you are in. In the midst of that conflict that you had with your spouse, in the midst of that disagreement you had with your child, in the midst of the angst and the uncertainty of business in our current climax, God is with you. God is present. God continues to care for, God continues to guide you. But it's interesting, the text doesn't just tell us, hey, God cares for you. God's with you. Know that there's a response that you and I are supposed to have to this truth. It's not enough for us to just get the warm feelings and be like, oh, I'm cared for, I am loved, and go all um, prosperity gospel, okay? No, the passage moves from this place where God is with his chosen servants. And it shows us that God's chosen servants live in obedience to his word because of who their God is. And so as we work through the next couple of verses, verse 6 through the later part of the chapter, what's going on is... Joseph is living out the truth that God is with him. And he is successful in the midst of great temptation, not because he is some sort of great man, but because he is pursuing after God and he is living in light of the fact that God is with him. He's pursuing faithfulness. The text really introduces us to this next section in the very beginning of, or the very end of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It's interesting, not many people have a specific statement in scripture describing them as handsome or as good to look at. And so as we look through Genesis, it's only happened one other time with one of um, Joseph's earlier relatives. But the text is going to move on from there, and it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now this is, this is a guy who is separated from his family. He is young. This had to have been a serious and very real and great temptation in Joseph's life. And so she tempts him by saying, Lie with me. 
And it's, it's not just a simply a one-time thing. The text continues, and as the text continues to work its way out, we become really uh, apparent to us that this was a habitual thing. This was something that she commonly did day after day. She was tempting him. And in contrast to her burning passion and her burning lust that just throws herself at Joseph, look at his, his thoughtfulness and his ethical and theological treatise that he provides in response. She gives a quick, lustful comment, lie with me, full of passion and desire. And his response is to logically, ethically, and theologically think through the situation and to respond to her and say, no, that is a wrong idea. We can't do that. Look in verses 8 and following. Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he says, ethically it's wrong because it's, it's going behind my master. It's doing something that he would not expect from me. He expects me to be faithful. He expects me to be loyal. And nothing is kept back from me in the house except for you. But even more importantly, he points to the theological aspect and he says... This isn't ultimately a sin against my master. Yes, that's, that's part of it. But ultimately, this is a sin against God. And God has been the source of his provision, has been the source of his success. And so he points to that and he says, I'm unwilling to do this. I'm unwilling to sin in this way. Why? Because of who my God is. And who is Joseph's God? Joseph's God is a God who is present with him. See, the text isn't really about simply sexual lust. The text is about something far bigger than how we respond to sexual temptation. It applies to sexual temptation, but it applies to so many more areas of our lives than just how we respond to sexual temptation. The text is telling us that God is present with us and if God is present with you and I then it should affect how we live in every area of our life it should affect how we work when we go to work it should affect how we live in response to the government when they make requirements upon us even if we think that the requirements are illogical as long as they're not requiring us to sin we seek to submit to those requirements. God's presence demands that we respond in obedience and faithfulness as we go through the difficulties of parenting, as we go through the, the disagreements that you have with your spouse, as you go through the disagreements that you have with your neighbors and other friends that you will meet. God's presence demands that you respond differently as you are upset by something, as you drive in traffic. God's presence affects far more than simply how we respond to sexual temptation.
It affects how we respond in love or in anger, in jealousy, in strife. It affects every area of our life. And so Joseph is modeling for us one specific area of how this theological concept that God is present, that God is with you and I. So it was as she, she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. And so this is something that's continually happening. It's going on and on and on. It's not, it's not stopping. She isn't giving up. And then the, the way that this next section presents itself, it's like she seized an opportunity. She saw that she was in the house, that Joseph was in the house, that no other men were in the house. And instead of simply requesting, she grabs him and seeks to make the demand to fulfill her passion. And when she does this, she grabs his garment and says, lie with me. And he let his garment be left with her, and he ran out. And then she concocts this lie, and she tells the men of her household this lie, and she tells them that he came in to try and physically abuse me. And when he came in to do that, I yelled out, and when I yelled out, then he left his garment. And so the whole order of the thing is completely opposite from how it happened. She says she begins with the crying out, when actually she ended with the crying out. And the master comes home and he hears about this story, and what does he do? As a result, he throws Joseph in the king's prison. And you might be kind of like, wow, I thought God was with Joseph. Why is God allowing bad things to happen to his people? Why, why is God doing this? God was with Joseph. We've been assured of this truth early on. Lest we allow our minds to wander from this idea that God is present, that God is with him. He reminds us in verse 2 and then Potiphar himself acknowledges it. And that is what leads him to placing Joseph in a position of prominence in his household. And now Joseph has been sent to the prison. And as he enters into his service in the prison, what happens? Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Even in the prison, God is still with Joseph. God is still working through Joseph's life and he is bringing about success and prosperity in the midst of what I would pretty quickly say is a lost cause. I would be extremely depressed if I was put into prison after everything else that Joseph has gone through. 
but God is still with him and God is still allowing him to be a source of blessing and care for those who he is in close contact with. And God is going to use this horrible situation to bring about his good purpose. God is going to use this situation to bring about blessing for far more people than just Joseph's family, than just Potiphar's family, than just the prison family. God is going to use this situation to be the source of blessing for all of Egypt and the surrounding countries and nations. God is working through this situation. And, and so the big idea is that God is present. And in the midst of your trials, in the midst of my trials, whatever they are, whether it be a disagreement you have, whether it be a desire that you have that is unfulfilled, God is present with you as you work through the emotions and the difficulties of that situation. And so God wants you to be encouraged by his presence. He is with you and because he is with you you can go through immense trials you can go through immense temptation and choose to walk by faith choose to live in a way that is honoring to him in a way that pursues him with a heart of obedience and so will you do that Will you choose to rejoice in who God is? Rejoice in the fact that God is present with you. Yes, he's present with you even in the midst of your pain. In the midst of that physical diagnosis you get from your doctor. In the midst of that crisis that is going on with your house's foundation or in the midst of that crisis that is happening with the water leak that's spreading mold everywhere in your house in the midst of those crises god is present in the midst of your disagreements with your parents and with your spouses god is present and so your response and my response should be to rejoice in the fact that God is present. And because he is present, I can be strengthened, I can be encouraged by who he is, and I can choose to live in faithfulness. And faithfulness really is the response that you and I must have to our God being present. God is present. So God sees everything. And your little sin isn't really little, but even if it was, God is present and he sees it. God is present, he is there, he seeks to assist you. And so in the midst of your trials, that's when you need the most assistance. Go to him, 
and seek to live in faithfulness and obedience to him. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are present with us and that we can uh, rejoice in your presence and that we can go through trials and that we can depend upon a God who is present and who is available to help us in those trials. We pray that we would lean on you and not on our own understanding and our own abilities. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, once again, I mentioned it right before we, we started, um, but April, or August 8th and 9th, no, 28th and 29th is the men's retreat. Um, if you would let me know by August 10th, if you plan on attending that, um, and then your, your payment of $50, if you could have that to me. And then the Ladies Renew Conference um, is September 11th and 12th. If you are interested in going to that, let us know by August 10th. Um, and then get your name and your um, check to Bethany by um, that date, August 10th. Thank you and have a good night. I'll give you a few moments to um, sign off. Um, so that you don't have anything unsavory come up. Have a good evening, though.